Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. What's up, everybody? It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Thanks for checking out the show, spending part of your weekend here with us. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Mitch Varel is off this weekend, so we have the multi-talented Zach Larson sticking around after hosting for Kevin McCabe on AZ Preps Live. Zach, thanks for being with me, man. Well, thank you for having me. It's it's fun to finally work with you. What's up with McCabe being a guest on his own show? Hey, you know, he just couldn't stay away. He couldn't stay away. <laughs> I, his passion for high school sports is undeniable. So. Uh, it's about time we got a good lead in around here. I'm kidding, <laughs> Kevin. I'm kidding. All right, let's talk about the biggest news in the NFL this week, and it's certainly a doozy. Uh, We kind of suspected this might happen. The Chicago Bears traded the number one pick in this year's NFL draft. Uh, They certainly have no need for a quarterback. Justin Fields, really the only bright spot for the Chicago Bears, who were 3-14 and last season. And I feel like when you're 3-14, and you don't have a lot going for you. So even if they had decided Justin Fields wasn't the guy, I would have at least understood that. Yes. Um, but this seems like a vote of confidence in Justin Fields. They move the number one pick. They get two firsts, two seconds, and DJ Moore, who's a pretty good wide receiver. He's going to be the number one guy there in Chicago. Uh, I think all sides could be pretty happy with this, particularly the Panthers, who move from nine to number one. Yeah, and it's a big move because now you got Frank Reich as your head coach, who goes from the Colts, who have the fourth spot, and we're going for a quarterback, and now he's with the Panthers and kind of, you know, giving the, the middle finger to Indianapolis. But it's it's a big decision here, and it kind of solidifies the fact that now the number one and number two spots are going to be quarterback selected, which just opens the door for possibilities and opportunities for the Cardinals to either trade down or, you know, decide to make a move maybe with an Indianapolis, maybe go down with a different team and pick up some more first-round picks. It, it's just, it's such a big positive for the Cardinals who are in a situation where there's a lot of free agents, a lot of uncertainty. So it's 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 a big one. It's a big trade, and I'm excited, excited to see how it goes. I think consensus now is that there is a little bit more certainty in that, like you said, two quarterbacks go one and two. I don't know who they are or in what order. Uh, we've always kind of thought Houston had this affinity for Bryce Young. The Panthers might be moving up for Bryce Young. Uh, C.J. Stroud, I was reading today, his Vegas odds for going number one overall – skyrocketed after the Panthers moved up. Is that a guy that the Panthers are super interested in? We've heard rumors of Anthony Richardson, the massive freak of nature athlete who I've always wondered if he's got the accuracy to be a successful quarterback, but that's another argument. He's shooting up draft boards like he's Josh Allen all of a sudden. Yeah. And so there's a lot of different things that could happen one and two, but we're pretty sure they're going to be quarterbacks in some order. So the certainty we talk about is that the Cardinals will have their pick of the rest of the litter, meaning the guys that aren't quarterbacks, they don't need one. Uh, I was reading even just this morning uh, the latest mock draft from Bob McManaman over at AZ Central, and if I'm remembering right, at number one, he has Bryce Young, number two, C.J. Stroud. It was quarterbacks in some order. And number three, Will Anderson, who's the most uh, highly touted edge rusher in the NFL draft, a guy we've been talking about for months. And the Cardinals, they get their pick of basically anything other than a quarterback. The possibility still remains that they can move back. And I threw out, for the last two weeks on this show, I threw out the possibility of moving back to number 9 with the Panthers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not Can't, really an yeah. option anymore. I guess they could move back to 9. They could or, trade with the Bears. and could, but I don't, I don't think that's... that's I don't know how that list. suits either team. 
So the idea of moving back with the Panthers, it seems like I might have been on to something, just not for the Cardinals, uh, more for the Bears. But there is still a chance. I think that they were lucky. I think the Cardinals were lucky that the Bears did a deal with the Panthers and not the Colts, which is the team that a lot of people thought was going to move up to number one. The reason I say you're lucky is because the Colts still sit at four, which gives the number three pick value to another team like a Vegas or Seattle at five, maybe. Uh, or another team that wants to jump Indianapolis, there is a need to jump Indianapolis because we know that they're probably going to go quarterback. Whereas if Indy had moved up to number one and Chicago to four, now that number three pick doesn't look as enticing because why do I need to jump Chicago? Exactly. It would kind of make the decision of, okay, let's just go with Will Anderson or just, you know, again, trade down with a different quarterback team. But Anderson, I think, would be the big pick. I think I don't think they could go anywhere else. With Indianapolis, it's not even like they're going to trade down and maybe get, okay, the fourth pick in a set. They're going to get sizable draft compensation if they trade with Indianapolis. It's It completely changes the game, and it's going to be so interesting to see how Monty Austin for in his first time, first draft as the general manager, how he plays this because – if they're not going to go super aggressive on the free agent market for maybe an edge rusher, then I think, yeah, Will Anderson is the pick. But if you can get an extra first-round pick or something out of a trade down, maybe with Indianapolis, and you can still get Will Anderson because there's no way that the Colts are going to trade up to take Anderson, it's just it's such a good it's a good situation for the Cardinals. They just can't screw it up. It was already a good position. It, it got better. It got somehow way better. And again, I'll, I'll keep harping on it, but I think it was a, a, a good idea or a good result for the Cardinals that it was the Panthers that moved up and not the Colts. The only time, so if you're talking about convincing Indianapolis to move up one pick to take that number three pick, yeah, there's not a ton of precedent in the NFL draft of teams moving up one pick. The one that stands out to me was when the Bears moved up to the 49ers pick uh, to take Mitchell Trubisky, or Mitch Trubisky as it were at the time. Uh if I remember right, so I was reading, they traded up one spot in the first round to choose Trubisky at number two. They sent selections number three, number 67, which I'm assuming was a, a third, third round, round pick, yeah. uh, number 111, as well as a third rounder in 2018, number 70 overall. So by my math, if you are having somebody move up one spot and you get something comparable to this, you're talking about obviously getting the number four pick where you would, in theory, still get the best pick that's not a quarterback. Right. So you're getting your guy anyway. Plus you get an extra third, another extra third, and a fourth. I mean, you could get three decent players for a team like the Cardinals that has a lot of holes and a lot of players leaving to free agency. That might not be a bad deal. And for a new regime, too. I mean, Jonathan Gannon wants to build this roster into what he wants. And that's I think that's a big positive. I mean, yes, there are so many free agents going away. And this team is certainly looking like it's going in the direction of a rebuild with Kyler being out for most of the season. But if you get those draft picks, if Austin Fort is a much better drafter than Steve Kime was in the recent years, because we all know his draft history was somewhat atrocious. If if this draft class is the future of the Cardinals, if you do trade down and get some of those extra third-round picks and you believe in the talent in this class, I mean, I can't see how it wouldn't be a perfect time to finally start new and say, okay, we're not going to try too heavy on free agents. We're not going to go after everybody. We're going to pick up the some of the cheaper options. 
And then this draft class is going to change the culture of this team and turn it in the other direction. See, it's funny. You talk about Steve Kime needing uh, and not hitting on those draft picks. You need Austin for it to be better at drafting. Well, that seems like the obvious take to me, too. I would even expound upon that and say that what Kime and the Cardinals didn't do very well is even when they did pick a good player, they misused them. Yes. Or tried to make them something they weren't. I thought that Hassan Reddick was a pretty good player, but they were trying him as a middle linebacker. He goes to Philadelphia and becomes the most dangerous pass rusher in the league this year. Yeah. I thought Christian Kirk was a great wide receiver, but they let him go. Byron Murphy, I think, is a fine pick, but he's in line to get paid this offseason. He's not going to be around. So, you know, it's it's less about they didn't hit on guys for me and more about they picked good guys. Did we use them right? Right. And so that might come into the question, okay, so was it Kime's decision to put these guys? Was it the coaching? Because obviously you had a couple coaches with Arians and, sure. and uh, Wilkes and Kingsbury. So they, it might be time that Jonathan Gannon's like, look, I will develop these guys. I will put them where they are the strongest. I mean, you talk about Kyler Murray. He's going to maximize his strengths because that is what's going to make the team better. So if he finds these players he likes and tells Austin Ford, hey, I, I want this player, I'm going to put him in this position because that is what he's the best at, then I really can see this roster completely changing and being one of the more dynamic teams just because coaching will have a, a say and input in how the development of these young players go uh, across these couple years after they're drafted. Uh, back to the NFL draft order, if the Cardinals are looking for other suitors to move up, specifically for a quarterback, this is an off-the-wall one that I kind of mentioned earlier. I was listening to our sister station in Seattle yesterday. You know they're talking about quarterback scenarios in Seattle? Really? Even, it doesn't, even after Geno Smith's extension? I know. I know. They're still talking about it. Because, I mean, let's be honest about this, right? If you think that one of these top three or four quarterbacks, there's really four that are pretty highly touted. If you think one of them is the next Mahomes or even the next Josh Allen, don't you kind of have to consider moving up a couple of picks to take that guy? I mean, yeah. And, and I think another thing, it's funny that we have our sister station talking about that. It's clear that the front office for the Seahawks believes in Geno Smith, but it kind of seems like the fan base isn't entirely buying in on his one-year explosion that he had this past season. And I kind of am in the same boat. I, I think they need to develop a different quarterback so they can have someone take over because Geno, I don't think, is a franchise quarterback. Clearly, the front office thinks he can have that potential. So, yeah, if if they were in a position where they want to get a young quarterback, keep him behind Geno for a couple years, and then when Pete Carroll retires or they go on to their next head coach, whatever, I think that might be a good decision. But at the same time, it just would look really silly after signing and inking a quarterback for a multi-year, multi-million extension that you would then go into this draft, trade ups, sacrifice some of your compensation that you got from Denver from a great trade to get rid of Russell Wilson and then select a guy who might be the or the backup behind Geno Smith. It, it, it just there's a lot of things with that that it wouldn't make sense. But at the same time, they have to think about their future eventually if the Seahawks want to stay in contention. And wouldn't it just make sense that the Seahawks are sitting pretty at number five and let's say Jalen Carter of Georgia, who's going through a bit of a legal situation currently. But if that clears up and he's able to play and you don't have major questions about him and his character, that might be the best player in the draft available to the Seahawks at number five. That yep. might be a, a risk worth taking if you're Seattle. 
Um, also of note, uh, some news and notes regarding roster construction. I was reading a tweet. I have no idea who this is. It's, it's a Twitter account labeled at the end of the day. Uh, but they listed out all of the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles players that are going to be available via trade or free agency this offseason. Uh, and I, I thought about this, too, because I saw Brandon Graham got re-upped in Philadelphia. So take him off the yeah. list. But this is Jonathan Gannon's former team. Would you say that there's a connection between Jonathan Gannon and the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could definitely see him poaching a couple of those guys and getting them to play in the Cardinal Red. So here's a list. Uh, cornerbacks, Darius Slay might be available. Uh, James Bradbury is one that's been talked about quite a bit. C.J. Gardner-Johnson is a safety. Not so sure the Cardinals need a safety, but he's on the list. Uh, Ndamukong Sue, defensive line. Certainly the Cardinals have a lot of questions there. Fletcher Cox, we know what he's been able to accomplish over the course of his career. Robert Quinn, same story. There's a lot of good players. This is just defense, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and being the defensive coordinator for the team that just went to the Super Bowl and being the Cardinals' new head coach, I would think some of those guys might be enticing for a guy like Gannon. Also, uh, the Titans the former organization of GM Monty Fort released Ben Jones yesterday. Okay. Center, pro bowler in 2022. We, the Cardinals casualty. need a center, so that, that wouldn't be a bad pickup. That would be uh, one to consider as well. Coming up next, after making it to the Pac-12 semifinals, is ASU Hoops making the NCAA tournament? We'll give you our predictions next. Arizona Sports Saturday. and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Hey, thanks for checking out Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Zach Larson is in for Mitch today. He ditched me for the WBC. Can't say that I blame him, to be honest. Sounds more enticing. Um, Yesterday, the Sun Devil men's basketball team did fall in the semifinals to U of A. I won't say that that's shocking, Zach. No, no. But it does kind of lend more to this conversation about whether or not Sun Devil men's basketball team is going to be in the NCAA tournament. They're certainly a team that's been considered on the bubble for quite some time. They had two massive games towards the end of the season. And maybe you could even throw in that USC game at the end of the regular season as a big game. They lose that one as well. Uh, but they've got some decent wins on their resume. Bobby Hurley believes that they should be in. I said a couple of weeks ago, if you win one of those two, uh, they had two really hard games, U of A in Tucson. They won that one on a buzzer beater. Yes. Uh, from three-quarters court. And then they had the UCLA game, which I believe they lost. Then you had USC. I said if they won one of those hard games and won USC and won at least one game in the tournament, in the Pac-12 tournament, they would get into the big dance. They did not win the USC game, but they did win two games in the Pac-12 tournament. They made it to the semifinal. They made it about as far as everyone expected them to. Uh, and now their resume has to be compared to some of the other teams on the bubble. Yeah, so you, you take that USC loss, right? But in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament, ASU beats USC. So, uh, personally, for, for my perspective, they had to win at least one Pac-12 tournament game. And I think they were going to be uh, at least a a kind of play in tournament, one of the first four in or last four out. I I think once they beat USC, they absolutely solidified that. And again, well, like we mentioned, the ASU U of A game. Yes, there is definitely some luck in there, and that ASU probably got away with that win in at the McHale Center. But at the same time, 
It's a win. It's added to your resume. The start to the season was so impressive. They just embarrassed Michigan in in one of the first tournaments. And their non-conference play was really well. So this is a team that, yeah, the 22-12 and record maybe isn't the best on paper. This is a team that's... Packed or stacked up some good wins, a couple tough losses, but at the same time, they've lost to teams like UCLA twice. They've lost to U of A twice. They lost to US, USC twice on the regular season. I, I don't think this is a team that necessarily is as bad as everybody's kind of claiming it to be. I, I think they are a shoe in for the tournament. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that hot start to the season because Bobby Hurley's got a case here. He's got some impressive wins. I'll give him that. If you want to look just specifically at their quality wins, a win over VCU looks pretty good. A win over Creighton looks good. The win at Arizona just a couple of weeks ago looks pretty good, although it did take a half-court buzzer beater to, to win it. Yeah, I mean... Listen, a win's a win, right? You got to put that on the resume. So when comparing that to other teams, like whether it's Oklahoma State or Rutgers seems to be on the on the, on the bubble, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan, certainly in that conversation, Arizona State may not have the pedigree of some of those other programs. I don't know how much that plays into the conversation as well. But you talk about that hot start. I mean, the Sun Devils started the season 15-3. and three. Yeah. And I realize that that's non-conference play for the most part. I mean, if you want to throw in their first five conference games, which they won four out of those five, I mean, they had a really, really hot start to the season, but it's it's everything after that that comes into play. I mean, if you look at January 19th, they lose to UCLA. And the rest of the way, from January 19th on, the team goes 7-9 and nine with a point differential of minus three. So I would argue they're almost two different teams in the first half versus second half-ish of the season. Uh, They definitely don't have momentum on their side if you neglect what just happened in the tournament. Right. So so likely if they were to make the tournament, they probably aren't going to stand a chance against whoever they play. But at the same time, I kind of think about to the previous two years that they've made the tournament back in 2018. They had a 12-0 start, and they were ranked among the top in the nation in the top three and they really fizzled out. They finished 20 and 12, right? They didn't do well in the Pac 12 tournament either. The next season, 23 and 11. So just one game better than they did this season. But again, it was another strong start to conference play. They were 9 and 2 in those first couple games. So I just, I think if you, obviously, you can't compare every season to this year. You can't compare how, because the whole entire college basketball world was in a different situation. But we've seen a lot of the top teams in this year's college basketball, just everybody, they, they've struggled this season and they haven't put up the 20 and, and 29 and one record that we're kind of used to seeing. There's a bunch of teams with at least four losses on the season. So I think 12 losses, yeah, it's a big amount, but compared to some of the other teams, I think these losses that ASU has suffered, they've been against good teams. They've taken care of the Pac-12 teams they've needed to be, like Oregon State having a three-game sweep of them, playing hard against Washington, Oregon winning on the road in Eugene. It, it just seems like there's too many good wins for this ASU basketball team to not at least get in as either one of those last four teams in or or getting in as an 11 seed, as a whatever seed they, they might fall into. One thing that a couple other teams on the bubble have that I don't know if ASU has quite as well, uh, like strength of schedule, Penn State, 35th in the country in strength of schedule. Wisconsin, they're a 17-14 and 14 team, not too good, but strength of schedule is 13. Yeah. 
Uh, so your top 15 team there, Rutgers, 44th, Oklahoma State, 8th in the country in strength of schedule. ASU is 62nd. Uh, so while you might have some quality wins, I mentioned VCU, Creighton, Arizona. Other than that, you haven't played a ton of great, great teams outside of UCLA within your own conference. Right. So so there is that. And they did. They've dropped a couple games against some teams in the Pac-12 that they should beat. So that probably will hinder them and maybe take them out of the tournament. Honestly, I don't know what they're thinking when they're placing them, but I do think that ASU has put together some wins. I think their Pac-12 tournament performance alone is it's so much better than years past that it shows that they deserve at least some sort of chance to play in the big dance. I know at one point you did say even if they do make the tournament, they might not have a chance against whoever they get. I will say, though, with a player like Desmond Cambridge, if he has a game like he did against USC in the tournament, where he goes off for 27 points, which is something that we've seen a couple of times throughout the year. He had a 26-point game against Washington. He hit 20 uh, at least uh, two times, one against Oregon and Oregon State. And these are on the road. San Diego, he had 23. This is a player who's hit 20 points five to ten times this season. If that guy goes off, you, I could see them winning a first-round game. I could see that, too. But again, he is a very streaky shooter. That USC game at the end of the regular season, he did not have his best game. His shooting percentage was horrific. So I, I, I think, yes, Desmond Cambridge, if he drops 20. I think also DJ Horn, if he continues to light it up, and if Frankie Collins contributes offensively, this is a team that can compete with the best of the best. Their defense is elite, top 25 at least in the nation. So... There's there's a good chance they could do something, but they are all season long. They've been such a streaky team, even in some of these Pac-12 tournament games. They've had runs where they look like they're an unstoppable machine. And then after a timeout, they go two for 11 in their final field goals of a ball game. So it, it's just it's it's frustrating to watch them as a fan of ASU basketball. I, I think they deserve the nod, but at the same time, their their streakiness might be the reason why they get held out, and it, it would be unfortunate for Bobby Hurley and the squad. Uh, you call it streakiness. Uh, I'll just say it. I don't think they're a good three-point shooting team at all. They are not. Uh, I mean, if you look at, I mentioned the turning point of the season, the UCLA game on January 19th. If you go from there to the end of the season, or the end of the tournament even, since then, they're shooting 39% from the floor, 30% from three. Yeah. They're not a good shooting team, so you got to find other ways to win. Now, you mentioned their defense. That deserves to be mentioned, but certainly not a good shooting team, in my opinion. So that's going to hurt them if and when they do make the tournament. I'm hopeful they make the tournament. I'm hoping they win as many games as possible, yeah. but we're just trying to be realistic about it. Coming up next, uh, the Suns will have to live without Kevin Durant for at least three weeks. What can they accomplish in the meantime while he's out? We'll run through that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Taking you up to 1 o'clock when Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is going on against uh, the Angels in Tempe. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Mitch Ferreldis not here this weekend, so I've got Zach Larson riding along with me. He's pulling double duty. He's filling in for McCabe earlier. Who was yeah. a guest on his own show. That's Guest weird. on his own show. That's weird. 
Just kidding. It was good to hear McCabe, even just, though he just was just can't uh, get away. The margaritas were were full, but could you tell he was he was he was uh, last night? I got a text, and it it, it was kind of broken English. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> Kevin. Hmm. That's I think that's Kevin with some Weird. tequila in him. It sounds but like good, he's enjoying his time off, though. Good for him. Good for him. Uh, it's going to be at least three weeks before we find out what's going on with Kevin Durant. Reports are that he will be reevaluated. In three weeks. I guess that puts his return sometime around Friday, March 31st. The Suns play Denver. Yeah. That would be a big return. That, that, would, that would be good. Uh, maybe if you want to be a little more conservative about it, you've got Sunday, April 2nd against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Certainly a team that Durant is familiar with. Uh, San Antonio on April 4th. Denver again on April 6th. So somewhere in that window, possibly, you could see a possible return. That's if he's okay after three weeks. Right. We're talking about reevaluation in three weeks. What happens if you get three weeks and then all of a sudden they say, yeah, he's going to need another week or he might need another two weeks. There's always the chance he misses the remainder of the regular season. Yeah, which would would not be good for the team chemistry. And I know that's a big thing. Everyone's like, well, we need Kevin Durant here. He needs to get used to playing with these guys. The only thing I say to that is the way how this team played in the first three games with him, even though they're all road games, so maybe there's something different when he plays a home game. I don't think that's the case. I think he'll get even better. But... That this team responded and was one of the best teams over the span of those three games. When they played the Mavericks the way they did, and KD took the final shot with the ball in his hands, you could tell the team trusted him to take that shot. And that's the kind of player that you traded for. I don't think Suns fans should be panicking if he doesn't return until the postseason. I think that would be the best thing because... I don't want him getting hurt anymore. I, I, I want to keep him in bubble wrap until games matter the most. And I think last season we saw this team, they really cared about getting over 63 wins and really being the best team in the regular season. Is not amount to much? When you have your superstar player healthy to go for a full 16 game or at minimum 16 games in the postseason, you got to make sure that everybody's healthy and up to date and well rested. If KD sits out until then, I don't think that would be a bad thing. The chemistry might not be there entirely, but I don't think they would lose three games or four games in a seven-game series. To your point over those three games, all on the road, Charlotte, Chicago, Dallas, in that stretch, the Suns scored 120 points a game, their opponents 107. So 13-point differential there. I like that. Shooting over 50% from the floor, over 39 uh over 38%, 38.7% from 3. Yeah, pretty darn good yeah. with Kevin Durant, but we also expected that. I mean, we thought that it's like I made this analogy I think last week. Uh, when the guy walks into the YMCA while you're playing pickup ball and everybody knows that's the guy that's really good. Like it doesn't matter which team he hops in with. He's going to figure it out. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, there, there's no, eh, how do we work this guy in? How do, how do we, uh, like, our get team... the ball in his hands, he's going to shoot, right. and he's going to make every Does shot. Does he fit our team? Of course he fits our team. He's Kevin Durant. Yeah. Come on. Um, but to your point, you're not going to have him for a while. So what is it that the Suns can accomplish over the next three, possibly even four or five weeks without Kevin Durant? Well, their schedule is certainly uh, something to look at. So, over that stretch, because if, let's say, uh, I recommended he come back March 31st, probably at the earliest against Denver. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a game tonight against Sacramento. That team is currently sitting at second in the West and a dangerous team in the West. You've got Sacramento. You've got Golden State, which 
I don't believe in them as a contending team for the championship this year just because their road record is atrocious. It's it's bad. It's really bad, and I, I just can't see them winning on the road and uh, winning in the playoffs if they can't win on the road. Milwaukee on March 14th, that's a really hard game. That's the best team in the NBA. Then you've got an easier stretch, Orlando, Oklahoma City, Los Angeles. But there's some heavy hitters in here. Sacramento again. Philadelphia's in that mix. Minnesota's a playoff team. So without Durant, you're probably playing five or six really hard games in that stretch. Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing, too, As when you say, what can this team learn from this upcoming stretch? And I think... Honestly, it's who are we going to rely on when Kevin Durant is in this lineup? I, I really think the fifth starter kind of is still up for debate because I think Josh Okogie hasn't been the same as he has in previous weeks. And maybe that is because Kevin Durant isn't around to get him these open looks and to take defenders off him. I, I think this team, it's going to be the best thing, I think, for DeAndre Ayton, too, who kind of has been overshadowed over these past couple games with Kevin Durant. I can tell that he's kind of visibly frustrated that he's not one of the primary scorers on this team and he isn't one of those offensive threats because deep down, I think he wants to be the guy, but he's always had Booker here. Well, and remember, too, the incident that he had in the Dallas series in the yeah. playoffs with Monty. I, I'm kind of paraphrasing or if I'm remembering correctly, what it basically was was I can't get myself the ball. Yeah. And now you've got two or maybe three options ahead of him offensively. Yeah, I think that's a good point. DeAndre and how he adjusts to this is a big storyline. Because, yeah, because, again, because Book's going to keep being Book. I I think he's right now in his streak where he's just going to drop 30 points a game and it's not going to be a surprise. Chris Paul still is okay, but he's he's not the number two guy now. He I think Aiton kind of throughout the season before Katie was traded here, he emerged as that number two guy. So... In this period of time, if Aiden can get back to form, how he was, I mean, he had stretches where he was putting 20 and 12 like it was nothing. Kind of like how he's been doing all his career, where he puts up 18 and 11, but it doesn't seem meaningful. But with Book out, he put up 20 and 12 and 30 point games. He really just started to hit his stride. If he can do that again over this stretch of games, gain his confidence back, and then you get KD back, and DA becomes that third option who just can drop. 30 points if he needs to, it's going to make the Suns even more lethal in the playoffs. And I I just have no doubt that this team would be a championship winning team if Aiton comes into his own and becomes that player that everybody since the day he was drafted has wanted him to become. But he just he just hasn't done it yet. Pulling directly from an article at ArizonaSports.com written by our Suns insider, Kellen Olson. He says, Phoenix has only had 10 of its 66 games with those players that were in there. I think it was the uh, top five guys all available. Yeah. 10 of 66 games that all five starters were available. Going a step further, looking at the starters when four of the expected five were in, it's only another 16 games. That means that 40 of the Suns' 66 games when they had at least two missing starters. This team has not been healthy at all this year, and yet they're 37 and 29. Again, it's a talented team. It's a talented roster that James Jones and Monty Williams are putting together. And they had they've had the championship caliber team since the beginning of the offseason, even when people were saying, okay, we should trade for Kevin Durant. You upgraded from Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson to Kevin Durant. And even though throughout the season, yes, Bridges has been the primary scorer 
some night. Cam Johnson, primary score. DA, primary score. Book. It It's just been a well-rotated machine that I think really tells you how well Monty has coached this season. Again, the injuries have just been completely out the wazoo this season, where it just seems like one player's out every other night. And Monty has done a great job of coaching this team, keeping that defensive prowess, making those buckets when they need to, especially in the clutch time. The road record maybe is a show of the fact that they don't have their healthiest team and they just aren't able to compete with the good teams on the road. But at the same time, this this is a good team being well coached. And, and there's just there's too much about this roster that's so good that if they didn't win a championship with Kevin Durant healthy and in the lineup, I, it would be a disappointment. Maybe you just have to figure out who you are without Kevin Durant. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, he's out for the rest of the year and then whatever happens, happens. No, maybe maybe you just figure out what are we without Durant, and then he's just kind of the cherry on top. And when we add him back into the mix, whether it's late in the regular season or if it's when the playoffs start, hopefully, uh, that he is just kind of icing on the cake, so to speak. If you could figure out a way to win it, a series or at least at least a couple of games in the playoffs without one of those two star players, whether it's Devin Booker or Kevin Durant, then you're even more dangerous, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, part of you mentioned last year, they kind of. They put the pedal to the metal, so to speak, during the regular season. They were clearly trying to win as many games as they could in the regular season. It did nothing for them in the postseason other than tire out some guys. Chris Paul looked like he aged decades overnight, uh, literally after his birthday, which was weird. Um, but I think part of the problem, too, was that they got to the playoffs and a lot of the role players just disappeared. Campaign didn't really contribute much. Landry Shamit shots weren't falling. Tory Craig, yeah, nice player to have. Wasn't great in the playoffs. So you got to this point where you were relying on them to step up and fill these roles when guys like Chris Paul were, just went south all of a sudden, and they weren't ready. And so I think that you can take advantage of this time without Kevin Durant to kind of work some of those guys in more and more. And that's not to say that I expect Tory Craig to play 35 minutes a night or Josh Okoge to go off for 25 like he did a couple of nights ago. Uh, it's just an opportunity for other guys to figure out what can I do to contribute to this team and be ready because when we get to the playoffs, there's always a chance that Durant tweaks an ankle, uh, Booker re-aggravates, Chris Paul, all of a sudden we can't rely on him to score consistently. I'm going to need to be ready. I think this is the next couple of weeks is the period where they need to figure out, okay, what we did last year at the end of the season, we can't do that again. Right. Wins and losses almost doesn't matter to me at this point. It's more about how those role players step up, fill the gaps, and how Kevin Durant comes back healthy. Yep. Those are really the only two things I care about. Because the wins and losses are going to matter in a month. So Yeah, they'll matter more then. And you know what? As long as you're still a top four team in the West, they're they're the number four seed right now. They're three games up on the Clippers, uh, three and a half up on the Mavs. So uh, that's a decent enough lead that I feel pretty comfortable they'll be a top four team. By the way, the Grizzlies are sitting at three, and I don't feel good about the Grizzlies right now. Five and five in their last ten. John Morant's going through some stuff. And it's not like Brandon Clark. Right, and teams below the Grizzlies, below the Suns right now, they aren't going to really catch up either. I mean, you got Luka out too. The Warriors have been struggling. I don't think there's many teams that are really going to surpass the Suns, so they're in a comfortable position right now. They just need to pick up a couple wins and try to lock up one of those top four seeds. Unfortunately, one team that I might have been wrong about, the Lakers. 
No. Seven and three in their last ten. They seem to be catching fire here. Anthony Davis is like a whole nother player when LeBron's not around. But when they are both together, it's kind of weird that I feel they're more beatable. Exactly. I don't know how that works out. Coming up next on the show, uh, the Arizona Cardinals were spotted scouting a star wide receiver. What about DeAndre Hopkins? Have they found a suitor for him yet? We'll talk about that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitchin Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Steve Zinsmeister with you. Zach Larson is in for Mitch Varelis today on Arizona Sports Saturday. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals were on hand for the workout for Odell Beckham Jr. He did it at uh, ASU's campus, I believe. Uh, our reporter Tyler Drake at ArizonaSports.com, he listed out some of the other teams that were there on hand to watch Odell Beckham work out. Some of them won't surprise you. Carolina Panthers, they just traded DJ Moore. They might have a need. New England Patriots is an interesting one. The New York Giants, they've got a ton of cap space. The Rams, Odell played there previously. The Bills, uh, the Chiefs, oh boy, we're going to give them another wide receiver. Uh, the Vikings, who I believe they just uh, separated with Adam Thielen, or yes. that's happening. Yep. Cleveland Browns, another place Odell's familiar with. The Jets, the Ravens, the 49ers. I feel like the 49ers get everybody nowadays. Yeah, unfortunately. Usually defensively. Anyway, what are we to draw from this that the Arizona Cardinals have been spotted at a workout for one Odell Beckham Jr.? Don't the Cardinals already have the wide receiver room kind of figured out? Well, I mean, over the course of the past couple of weeks, we've kind of seen <laughs> that entire wide receiver room that was originally thought you have DeAndre Hopkins and Hollywood Brown. That's the next dynamic duo in the league. Well, it looks like both of them might be on their way out. So, I mean, again, I think Odell has he's always been kind of linked to a lot of these teams. And I, th- I think the Cardinals are just looking at it as... Okay, if we need a receiver, if we maybe need a number three guy or a number two guy now, Odell Beckham Jr., does he still have it in him? Does he still have some gas in the tank after his run with the Rams? Can he be one of those receivers like he was back in his early days in 2015, 2016, and so on? So I don't think it's necessarily like the Cardinals are are super all-in on Odell Beckham Jr. But again, you have to have solutions for a lot of these problems that are starting to appear. And I just listed a third of the league. It's not like uh, out of the realm of possibility that a new GM like Monty Ossonfort wants to keep his options open. Right. Especially if he's going to consider trading DeAndre Hopkins, which appears to be at least a conversation that they're open to having. Uh, I don't think that this precludes them from making a trade. I don't know that it means that they absolutely will. What about D-Hop? Have they found a suitor yet? I think uh, one interesting note, I saw Bill Barnwell, I think he's ESPN still, he tweeted that the Panthers might be an option based on the fact that they moved off DJ Moore in their trade for the number one overall pick. I, I could understand the desire for a Hopkins in a place like Carolina. They seem like they're going to get their quarterback at number one. We know that. Yep. You'd like to give them somebody to throw to. They don't really have that in Carolina right not, now. Not with DJ Moore going for sure, yeah. So I understand the need for a Hopkins, but you just gave up all that draft capital to move to number one. Do you have more draft capital to move to get DeAndre Hopkins is the question. I suppose a second-round pick might be able to get it done. I know Cardinals fans probably don't like that. They'd like to get a first if you're going to trade Hopkins at all. Yeah, because, okay, so I think about the Tyree Kill trade with the Dolphins as kind of, because I think Tyree Kill and DeAndre Hopkins are comparable 
kind of receivers. I think they're both kind of towards the top of the elite receivers. What the Dolphins had to give up for Tyreek Hill was, was a pretty sizable amount of compensation. If the Cardinals don't get maybe... I, I would be in favor if the Panthers have players that they're willing to shop away that maybe are kind of technically like free agent options for this team. And yeah, I, I think the draft compensation, that that's that's completely kind of out the window now with them taking that Bears pick. So the Panthers, it makes sense. It makes sense for the them to... The need is there. The need is there. Do they have enough? Kind of like what what team has enough to get Sean Payton in a trade? What team has enough to get Russell Wilson in a trade? So it, it just... I think, yes, they've got their quarterback of the future, but I do think that window for Hopkins might have been shot down after they traded for that pick. Part of the reason that I think you're probably not going to get the Tyreek Hill package for Hopkins, he's over 30. Yeah. Not that he's bad. I don't think he's a bad receiver by any means. I don't, he doesn't show his age at all, but he's over 30. He was suspended for a third of the season. And as minute as that may seem in the grand scheme of things, it's still a factor that another team has to take into consideration. Um, I do think that I have a couple other possible suitors in my head. I'm not reporting anything. I don't have any sources on this. But Steve Zinsmeister reporting. There's a couple of other teams that make sense. If you're looking beyond just the need that the Panthers have, I usually, when you have an expensive player, a wide receiver in particular, uh, and you're looking at places they could go, the two things I'm looking at are salary cap space that teams have available, and also are they a contender? The New York Giants fit both of those. They have a ton of money available to them this offseason. They have Daniel Jones coming back. And I think that they would be open to going and getting a big-time wide receiver in a big-time market like New York. The Giants make some sense to me. Uh, The Bengals, unfortunately, make some sense. They already have three guys who are making decent enough money. Three good receivers, in my opinion. But I think you could maybe do a swap with T. Higgins. They've already come out and said, we're not trading uh, T. Higgins. So... That probably is out of the picture, but I'd be open to doing it if I were the Bengals. The Titans, they have nothing at wide receiver. Just nothing. Traylon Burks is the only guy you would even know from the Titans. And if you're looking to capitalize on the window of Ryan Tannehill still being the quarterback before they move to Malik Willis or whoever they're moving to, the Titans make sense. Plus, it's Monty Austin Ford's uh, former team. I would assume that he has some negotiation uh, ties there. The Broncos, they've got three good receivers, but Cortland Sutton tweeted last night, I just want to be somewhere where I'm wanted. Hmm. Oof. Uh, The last team I'll throw out there is the Bears, and I know they just added DJ Moore, but they also added a ton of draft capital. Could you flip one of those picks for a Hopkins if you want to double down at the wide receiver position? I mean, that. how insane would that be if the Bears somehow managed to get DJ Moore and DeAndre Hopkins? I, that, that would be automatically one of the, the top duos in the league. I think it's possible. I mean, you'd be spending a lot of money at the position. DJ Moore is a $20 million a year guy. Hopkins yeah. is a $30 million a year guy. It's a lot of money to invest, but I mean, if, if the Bears are looking to use some of that draft capital they just acquired to really bolster that offense and highlight their one good player in Justin Fields... I can see it. Yeah. And I mean, because, okay, personally, when I'm thinking about getting a trade for DeAndre Hopkins this year, I'm I'm considering at least a first round pick. I I, maybe that's a little too high, but I think that's the desire. Cardinals fans would be happy with a first round pick. The Bears now with the number nine pick. I don't think they trade that. No, I don't either. 
the Bengals being kind of one of the lower teams, I, I there's a case there. The Broncos, they don't have anything. They gave it all away for Russell Wilson, and they're they're really well. I think they got a pickback from the Dolphins trade with Bradley Chubb, but nevertheless, I think maybe a low end first round pick is. I think the Giants and the Bengals are the two of your your suitors. That the would Bengals fit. is hard because they already have three guys they, they, they like. Do. They just don't have good contractual situations. They could give away Tyler Boyd, and then maybe not give ne- necessarily a number a first round pick. Maybe. Maybe Tyler Boyd and a third-round pick is all that that would take. But honestly, if I'm looking at this, I think the Giants might be the best move. Uh, Denver, to your point, does have two third-round picks this year. They do not have a first or a second. So while you're right, the draft compensation is not really there, that trade would probably have to be centered around an unhappy Cortland Sutton. Probably. And I don't know if that's a route you want to go if you're you're the Cardinals. It would only be if you liked Cortland Sutton and thought that's a good deal plus some draft compensation. Then maybe you do that deal. That one seems less likely to me. Yeah, we saw we saw an unhappy receiver in Robbie Anderson or chosen Anderson. Now, yeah, get it right. We yeah we saw we saw how that went down. So, well, you want to talk unhappy? Uh, let's throw a new wrinkle into this. This week, Burns and Gambo talked with Kelvin Beecham here in the studio, and he basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said Kyler Murray needs to grow up. He later clarified he's capable of that. He's capable of the leadership. He just needs to show it. And he needs to grow up. Uh, A lot of people ran with that, one of which being Hollywood Brown tweeting. uh, He saw the graphic of the quote on Twitter and he retweeted it. And I had it pulled up here. He starts by saying, I ain't never seen this much collusion from within. We got each other number, but steady get on podcast or tweet blank. It'll be different if it was addressed in person first. And I'll just leave it there. But for him to say collusion from within, that makes me feel like maybe he's got some issues as well yeah. going on with this organization. I'm I'm sure there's some unhappiness, and it just seems like it's another year of the Cardinals getting into drama that's unnecessary. Beecham's a free agent, isn't he? I believe so. So he's not even technically a Cardinal. No. Which is probably the reason he, they were able to get him in studio. Yeah, probably honest. probably the reason why he's he's opening up about all this. The thing that from that tweet that I'll just quickly say, the fact that he says that they have not had this conversation in private or they haven't brought this up before in private kind of makes me concerned because if nobody ever questioned Kyler Murray's ability to grow up and be a leader in that locker room, there's a lot of problems with that culture and it's it's not going to set up good for Kyler's future if that's Really true. Coming up next, more Cardinal talk. The Bears traded the number one pick in the NFL draft. Does that make the Cardinals more likely to stay at number three or more likely to move back? It's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.